<laughs> I show up every time. Every time. Every time. <laughs> On that note, welcome to Trust the Journey. I am Melanie Curtis. And I am Jason Maletsky. <laughs> yeah. Our mission is to live, laugh, love, and learn together with you. We're here to create conscious connections, to grow and contribute through our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust. Trusting the entire journey. Yes. And if you want to find us on the internet, go to trustthejourney.today. That is our website. It's also our Instagram handle. Anything that you do to engage, to share, to send us feedback, all of that helps. Five stars, all the things that you hear that make podcasts reach a wider audience. That's true. So we welcome those types of contributions. If you want to contribute to Jay and myself, the team here and Kim, the Trust the Journey team, you can donate on Patreon. That is a way that you can financially contribute to this mission. And it also will get you into the Trust the Journey family, which is a private Facebook group where we support each other, deepen the conversation, share funny anecdotes, stuff like that. There's a lot of good stuff in there and a lot of good people in there. And we invite you to join us if you would benefit from that kind of support in your life as well. Awesome. And we are also opening up our doors to sponsors or advertisers. If we find somebody who is uh, aligned with our mission, we would love to invite people to come and um, see if that's a fit. And we're looking forward to that next stage of growth. So if you feel like you're a good fit for an advertiser or sponsor for our program, please feel free to reach out to us at trustthejourney.today. Get to us on Instagram. You can get to our individual contacts at melaniecurtis.com at jason underscore maletsky. And if you need podcasting services, you can reach out to our wonderful kimberlyjoyvoice.com. She takes care of all the editing and posting for us. Yeah, yeah, totally. And we haven't shared about this in a little bit, but just beyond Trust the Journey, some of the stuff that I'm doing, I'm a keynote speaker, so you can always reach out to me for that. I do a lot of work in the realm of peak performance and team dynamics and the life coaching work that I do and the executive coaching work that I do. So that's always something you can tap me for. That, again, Jay said, MelanieCurtis.com. And Jay has the Desert Soul Collective and all of the incredible events and the community building around that effort that he's putting forth as well and his team with with Desert Soul Collective. So you can follow them also and, uh, you know, go to one of their amazing events. Anything to add on that, Jay? We are setting up for an event right after this call. So yeah, yeah, yeah cool. it's happening. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. What is the Instagram yeah. handle for that? At desert.soul.collective. Cool, perfect. All right. Well, let's from all of those shares. Thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, today, we're going to dive in and talk about alcohol, our relationship with it. Just we're going to we're going to go for it. You know, it's an interesting thing to choose as a prompt and see where the conversation goes. I, I'm very curious to see where this conversation is going to go. I've had a, an interesting relationship with alcohol over the course of my life, and I'm excited to talk about it, honestly, because I feel good about being a part of transformation around the classic engagement with it. Although I harbor no judgment around how people engage it either, which is also a thing. So anyway, that's yeah. kind of my initial 
thought, but what would you start with? Well, I mean, I think most of our listeners would be aware that we're both sober, that neither of us actually drink alcohol anymore. Um, So that's probably a a noteworthy starting point. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'll I'll make a a, a touch point that was an interesting kind of like flash in the pan observation. The other day I was... I was camping in a group campsite with a bunch of friends. I got up in the morning and it was a beautiful sunrise. Everybody was getting up really early because Arizona sunrises and just this amazing view in Sedona. And a friend of mine said, Hey, I've got some kombucha. Would you like some kombucha? And like, yeah, sure. I love kombucha, you know, and poured me a little, you know, regular kind of coffee cup, you know, just a few ounces maybe. And I took two sips of it and my body immediately felt the alcohol in the kombucha and I get this like tension in the back of my neck and kind of a like nauseous feeling. And I was amazed at how sensitive I've become to even the tiniest amount of alcohol. And I've had these reactions in throughout my life at different times. I can think of dozens of times where I took some alcohol in and I was maybe a little dehydrated or my body didn't want that at that time and it gets a dramatic reaction i felt you know i went from weight i went from feeling fantastic to feeling quite bad like really quite bad in a few moments and it was a negligible amount it was such a tiny amount it was really impressive isn't that interesting because i mean yeah i i definitely want to hear Uh, and share our respective stories for sort of parting ways with alcohol. I think that will be definitely useful to hear, but to just speak to what you're, you touched on there with the tiniest bit of alcohol is that I will occasionally from time to time, not very much have a non-alcoholic IPA. IPA beers are pretty much the only thing flavor wise that I missed. And other than sort of working through the initial feeling of social sort of awkwardness that comes from just thinking we need to be drinking in certain scenarios or thinking that drinking in certain scenarios is what allows for connection, which is false. Obviously, I now feel quite comfortable in social scenarios, not drinking at all, having a seltzer or, or whatever. Um, but the NAIPA is they have, you know, trace alcohol in them, them as well. And I feel it. I feel it. Most of the time I don't, I can't, I can't finish the entire beer, but I, but I enjoy the taste. So I'm like, so glad that there's a, an option for me to have that still in my life and also be able to, in those small ways that I may want to engage in those social structures around having a drink and that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. The, interesting thing is we've become so desensitized to it in our culture you know it's the default numbing agent available to us in western culture mm-hmm. is alcohol that's the one where you can go to in in america at least in the usa you can go to any store like the corner store the gas station and i can buy alcohol at the gas station which yep. always baffled me coming from canada <gasps> you're like you sell alcohol where you get gasoline for your car <laughs> like what this doesn't make any sense Right. Like, so true. I grew up in a culture where that just wasn't that was like, no, you don't alcohol and cars don't go together. Right. So um yeah, so that's always been something that's thrown me for a bit of a loop. But 
it's so it's so integral in our society, at least in the culture that we grew up in. Yeah. But I don't know that this is necessarily still the case anymore. You said that it, you know, it's social lubricant. People view it as a social lubricant. They feel like, oh, I let my hair down because of alcohol. But in this, what I've found since I've left alcohol behind is I have more friends. Mm -hmm. I have better quality friends. Mm -hmm. And the so the connection is deeper because we're not numbing ourselves or getting stupid and sloppy or like some some I mean these are object uh, subjective mm -hmm. viewpoints right my viewpoints my subjective viewpoints so anybody else might have a different opinion you're welcome mm -hmm. to it yeah <laughs> of course of course yeah. so but the actual interact like the quality of the experience to me doesn't go up with alcohol I feel like it actually goes down yeah uh, i agree completely it's interesting because i i do think it's important to tell sort of the i it almost feels like an origin story of like where because i now very much consider myself a person who does not drink anymore i don't Same. i don't anticipate yeah. going back to it i mean i can't predict the future but i literally just i don't see that happening because i don't feel like it actually helps me in any way I don't feel like I need it anymore for that lowering of inhibitions, right? It's not that I don't have social anxiety, you know what I mean? But I reached a point in my, this is not even the origin story, but the part of my growth where I wanted to meet those anxieties. I wanted to, to do that work. What does it feel like? What am I missing? What am I afraid of? What do I need to look at more deeply that this particular thing that I was consuming was keeping me from doing, you know, and just made me feel more like just worse about myself in general as a broad sweeping sort of judgment on my experience with it. So what happened for me was basically I, after my divorce, the first love relationship that I was in after my divorce was extremely scary for me, right? Meaning I felt like it was understandably like a triggering environment, even though the relationship was, was great, was really good, really loving, loyal. It was, there was nothing like that felt insecure about the actual commitment in that relationship. It was a really good one. And why I say that is that I recognized in myself that that was part of my healing work. And additionally, I was excited and valued this new relationship enough that I was like, I want to take all possible steps that I can take to get to have myself be in a strong emotional place. I recognized that alcohol only made me less emotionally strong. It made me more emotionally fragile. It it just didn't do good things for me. It made me uh, you know, more tired. Whenever I was more tired, I was more emotionally fragile, those types of things. So I'm like, what can I do to up my emotional strength? And my partner at the time, he also didn't drink. And so it made it an easier choice. So I said, cool, I'm just going to stop for, for now. And that essentially opened the door to me having a longer term experience without drinking alcohol. 
And so even when that relationship ended and went, we went our separate ways, again, totally fine, all good. That partner's still a lovely person in my life. We, I, I looked around because I was enjoying. I liked it. I, I was enjoying this, this experience. I was feeling good about the social experiment of myself, the longevity of how long I had quote, achieved not doing this thing that I used to do all the time without any thought. And I started to look around and a bunch of entrepreneurs in my life that I look up to, that I admire, thought leaders that I would want to emulate also didn't drink. And so I basically was like, maybe this is a part of me leveling up my work, my thought leadership and you know, I'm liking it. So why not just keep going? And that is essentially what occurred and has led me down to where I am today with it. And I've been, I've been sober now for five and a half years. And I say, I want to quickly speak to the word sober and sobriety, because clearly we in this space talk about altered states of consciousness. Clearly, I am a proponent of healing spaces where we are meeting altered, altered states of consciousness. Alcohol specifically is something that I, when I say I'm sober, I'm sober from alcohol specifically, but obviously I do work with plant medicines and I care very much about that space, but it's all in this vein of healing and finding emotional strength and, and emotional and spiritual growth. Yeah. So I think there's a context in there that you're alluring to, which is that Alcohol is just one of um, just a plethora of substances which we encounter on all different levels, whether it's like daily use, like food items, or whether it's like like a sacrament all yep. the way up to like, a, you know, a spiritual religious experience. And that range is broad sweeping. And I put everything in there. I put all food items in that same area that same collective because yeah when i binge for sugar yep and i go like impulsively to the cupboard in the middle of the night reaching for something where i'm half conscious that sugar cessation like i'm trying to feel something different yes my, my there's something inside of me so whether it's it's sugar or carbs or alcohol or whatever other type of uh, compound or molecule it's all it all falls in the same category. The whole thing of food and drug is it's legit. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But what was, what's your origin story? Tell us yours. Well, you know, it came up early when, when we started put the topic on the conversation on the table, I started thinking about it and I've been making notes of this to myself for a while now, as I start to dissect and look at my own history and my own behavior patterns and start to kind of dig into who, what has made me who I am and how I feel about the decisions I'm making now. And so this is, a, I feel like a really healthy pattern that I've come to within myself, which is to really deep dive into like, why am I doing that? And where did this come from? And, you know, like asking these questions, because when I look back, I realized I started drinking alcohol at about 11, wow. 10 or 11 years old. Right. I started sneaking sips of lemon gin out of the bottle in the cupboard. Now, my mother wasn't a drinker. 
she didn't have alcohol in the house. There wasn't alcohol in the house. Now, maybe that says something that I don't really know about because my early childhood years are pretty distant memories and I don't have my parents around to ask them questions. So maybe the reason there was no alcohol in the house is because there was a history related to it because it was pretty, it was very much not in the house. Yeah. There was none. And then, you know, a, f- a friend of my mom had come over, brought a small bottle, left the bottle behind. And as 11 or 12 year old, I started sipping on that bottle and nursing it until it was gone. So the pattern starts really early. And I can remember as a young boy, 14 years old, going into the liquor store and buying bottles of liquor at 14, going to bars and drinking at 15 and 16 years old. So the culture of like, I started drinking every day at by 16 by 16 i was working a full-time job and i would go to work and we would get a beer with lunch we would get a you know a bloody mary or a caesar with dinner and that was par for the course for the culture that i grew up in so it was that really threw my whole mental health emotional health further down the the hole that it was already in because of the traumas that i was suffering yep. from yep i was also medicating heavily with marijuana mm-hmm. uh, hashish specifically it was hashish marijuana wasn't available in the culture that i grew up in but both of those those were the two go-tos for me was hashish and cigarettes mm. and alcohol mm-hmm. and alcohol and cigarettes were like hand in hand because i feel like as my um as i have a drink of alcohol my inhibition drops my decision making goes well sure let's go ahead <laughs> yeah. and smoke oh yeah you know I'll, I'll smoke a cigarette whereas a young athlete i wouldn't even think of doing such a thing and it was i despised it but the alcohol led me to this place of yeah i'll do this yeah i'll do that so it was definitely a gateway drug yeah to anything else that got came, it, got came it. along for me that that's the key piece in there that alcohol opened the door and then everything else comes in afterwards and and the decision making about trying those things was not done in a clear conscious headspace where i'm like i'm a sober clear thinking person i'm gonna yeah um, yeah sure i'll try a cigarette no it's made because i'm already a loopy yeah and now i'm like yeah i'll try that yeah you know? god that's and so, so, so true. that's that's a that's like really what I wanted to get to with this whole piece because the rest of my younger years I I quit drinking alcohol when I was 25. All right? And I stopped entirely for 7 years. Wow. I didn't drink a drop for 7 years. So that's a fairly interesting trajectory for the culture that I grew up in which was kind of a poverty a low low income sector of society. And then moving into skydiving culture at 21 years old and skydiving culture was just rampant with alcohol. I mean, we would take back a truckload, a literal truckload, a box truck full of empty bottles because the bottles had a deposit on them. And we would take a box truck back and we would get a thousand dollars worth of refunds on the deposit of the bottles. And we would use that towards our skydiving club's infrastructure. Yep. So the club actually earned its income through the dividends of the drinking culture that existed which wow oof yeah yeah it's intense it's true um god there's a lot there that i could speak to first i think going back to 
bad decisions. You know what I mean? But also the origin story, origin story of alcohol entering my life. Gosh, that was, you know, my parents, you know, having a Manhattan after a hard day at work, you know, same thing. My dad's house had a, had a drop zone at it. So there was definitely the party drinking culture there. And, you know, I certainly have plenty of stories where I get drunk and I make bad decisions, you know, whether it's doing something that I wake up and feel shame about, whether it's hooking up with someone that I really would never have decided to do that with, you know, like that type of stuff. And it's just like, oh, gross. You know what I mean? And that type of stuff stays with you. You know what I mean? There's a reason that stuff doesn't feel good. You know what I mean? And even yeah. if it's just not something as as gratuitous as that, but even something just where you make you aren't aren't as kind or you are a, a loud, obnoxious problem for some scenario. I mean, there's plenty of funny stories too. I have lots of funny stories where I puke out the door of a limo in New York City. Like that's ha 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 funny, but oh, not great. You know what I mean? Like not great. Not, not, not funny. Not, not it's great. It's not. Yeah. It's like, it's oh, it's God. painful. Ugh. Yeah. Like falling on the floor, dancing at my friend's you know, work holiday party that my friend and I crashed in love. Like we were trying to be loving friends. But then my other friend who was basically leaving, which is why we wanted to crash the party, is we drank wine nonstop and they just kept filling our glass, filling our, and we just kept drinking. No, no quality or, or consciousness around what we were consuming. And it turned us into a real problem at her work party. And that's just not something I would ever feel good about. Even back then, I didn't feel good about it. You know what I mean? What tipped the scale for you when you decided to put alcohol on the shelf? What was the kicking point or the, you know, the tipping point on that? What tipped the scale? Yeah. Well, it's the story with my relationship. Yeah. That's, that was the reason is that I care about this new relationship. I want to be emotionally strong. It was a positive, intentional choice. It wasn't a negative, oh, I fucked up and I made this thing and now I feel deep shame. I had those experiences already in the fucking bank. You know what I'm saying? I already knew, (laughs) right? I'm like, I don't need to do any more things, right? That caused me deep shame. I already know that this is going to be the audio snippet (laughs) for this episode right there. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So for me, it was a very much intentional choice about how to grow and be better, which is exciting, which is an exciting thing, I think, to offer up as a possibility that leaving alcohol, deciding it's, you know, to even do a social experiment on yourself for a month or whatever, a year, it's something you can opt into. For, for whatever reason and not allow, not think it has to be forever. And maybe it is forever. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But that is the, that's how I got into it was just like, I'm going to try this and see where it takes me. Well, nothing's forever and everything's forever. So yeah. the whole concept of forever, it's a, it's a pretty meaningless idea. Um, the thing that I think I'd like, I'd like to encourage people. I'm going to say that I'd like to encourage people to like try a dry, a dry July or a dry October, or like, you know, try it if you haven't done it, or it's been a while since you've done it, 
give it a whirl. Uh, I, from my own experience, my quality of life has improved steadily and clearly in a number of different categories every single time I've put alcohol on the shelf. And I wanted to touch on what you just said about opting into a more positive version of you for a relationship. Now, that relationship is with yourself initially, right? Like that's the primary reason. It's like, I need a better relationship with myself so that I can pay attention to what I'm doing, how I'm feeling, how I'm acting, how I'm responding, all the things that are going on in order to be able to get the quality of life that I want out of my own life. And then how that shows up for others is another direct level up as far as, oh, okay, now I'm getting all this more you know, positive or better value, communication, connection, all these things are improving. And I think that's the real, the big gain. I mean, never mind the healthier body, clearer mind, better sleep, better digest, like all the things that come along with putting alcohol, having more money, yeah, all, all that stuff. Then there's also this people like me more and <laughs> I'm easier to like. And actually <laughs> the people who are nicer like me and the people who are drunk don't like me anymore, which is probably good for me. Yeah. So my story is the same. Yeah. I, when I was 25, I was going through a period in my life where I was single for a few years and I was in skydiving and I was working in skydiving full time. And the drinking culture was a daily thing where you finished jumping at the end of the day. And as soon as the beer light, there's literally a light that yeah. tells you when to drink, like drink the drinking lights on the beer lights on, you know, and people, the culture is so rampant. If you're not part of the skydiving community, when the last load of the day when the wheels lift leave the ground the air the plane is in the air it means that nobody on that plane can be exposed to alcohol that might be an open container on the ground the containers crack open and that culture is so prolific that like, hey the very second that this aircraft is off the ground and the airport is closed essentially to any more takeoffs then alcohol can be infused into pretty much everybody who's on the airport yep and that culture was so becoming such a daily thing for me. And I watched this thing happen with two of my best friends. I had one friend, his name was Jeff. And God, that guy was an asshole. <sighs> man, I couldn't stand that guy. Like, I just, he, he was, I worked with him, but man, every time he would have a drink, he was just Jeff Shirk the Jerk. Mm. That's what we called him, right? And he's a great guy. He stopped drinking. And he put the bottle down and he suddenly became one of my best friends. Like I wow. really liked him. Wow. All of a sudden I was like, wow, this guy's actually not a jerk. He's actually a really nice guy. And my other friend who I loved working with, Maddie, we jumped together all day, every day. We were the best team. I loved every moment from showing up in the morning and high-fiving each other to every bit of teamwork and flow the whole day long, working as this synergistic team, having each other's back. The whole the whole time it was like there was always an energy right there. And at the end of the day, as soon as that bottle cracked, I didn't like him. Wow. And so I saw this transition occurring and I saw his life going on a downhill trajectory. And I saw Jeff going the other way and I'm like, hmm, take a minute. And I went and I moved. Um, I did my migratory thing. Where I'm going north and south every year, working the seasons and skydiving. 
and I shifted to a different location and I thought I'm going to take a pause, take a pause and see, just kind of check in with myself, like see how things go differently for me. And at the same time, I had started to fall for a girl and the girl had been in three abusive alcoholic relationships in a row. Wow. And it was obvious to me that this was a huge, like the contributing factor to the downfall of those relationships. And that I wanted to show up for her in that I saw the relationship budding. Like I could see the fire starting to heat up, you know? And I'm like, this isn't going to work if I'm, if I drink just like the other guys drink and have the same problems here with flaring tempers and irrational, you know, irrational behavior and, and just, you know, irresponsible general activity, like the state of being at the end of the day just goes down and down and down and down. I, I, so I put it aside for all those reasons and then I didn't pick it up again for seven years. That's amazing. it it stayed on the side because I started to actually like make notes for myself about what was going on. How was I feeling? What was I doing? How was my time, my money, my overall energy? What are my general interactions? And like, what am I doing now? And how do I feel now? And like comparative record keeping on those topics. Yeah. I think it's important to note in both of our stories and in lots of different parts of our stories, there are different nodes of motivation. And I would invite people to look for those in their own life. Because like, for example, you did this earlier in your skydiving career. And again, the skydiving culture, that's another thing I want to go into in more detail. But before I do that, uh, I stopped drinking for about eight or 10 months or something at the very start of my four-way career. So, And it was because I cared more about my four-way competition goals and my team. And I needed to lose weight. I needed to lose weight. I needed to lose like 10 pounds or something like that, which again, it's not about vanity or you need to be skinnier. It was like, I am needing to be a better athlete to compete at the levels that I was excited to start going after. And that motivation was very, very key to helping me move through the intensity of the skydiving drinking culture. And one thing I'm really excited to say is a reality I feel like now, and I don't know, maybe this was going on back in the day and I didn't realize it, but I don't think so. Um, And maybe it's just social media that's making it more apparent, but it seems to me that there's this sort of wave of people. There's like a small sub movement in skydiving that are becoming sober. And so there's the skydivers supporting sobriety group. And that's a great group for people who are wanting support around this, who want to feel like they still have community and connection while meeting that skydiving drinking culture. So it depends, drop zone to drop zone. There might be more sober people at your place. You might, who knows? But there's something to that that right now, it seems like more and more people are are at least experimenting with this path, if not fully committing to it. So, so that really brings up a key topic. That's something that I feel is worthy of some conversation. And that is the support systems that are out there. So the most common one in our society is the 12-step program, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, right? That 
that system, you know, if that system works for you, I'm awesome. I'm happy to hear it. It turned me off. Yeah. Like my first exposures to AA, I went to some AA meetings when I was young with some, a friend of mine who was struggling with alcoholism. I was drinking, so I was in alcoholism. I didn't even know at the time, but I went there with her and I went to this thing and I was like, oh my God, this is depressing. And this is horrible. I couldn't stand it. You know, I was like, it's just a transition of like, it's a, it's a clinging to the idea that I'm never going to be better right. or uh, this thing of like alcohol owns me forever. And now I have to fight this thing or I'm less than it. And moving of the, the, the sight from uh, alcohol to cigarettes and to caffeine. And it's just retargeting this like need to feel need to numb kind of thing. And so if 12 step program works for you, great. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was a straight turnoff. I wanted to drink more. I was like, fuck that. I'm not going to that group <laughs> of losers. You know? Uh, well, I think it's important to, to acknowledge the realities of what actually supports you and what doesn't. I think it's okay to try things and to decide a different path for yourself. I am not trained at the level to really be able to speak about alco alcoholism directly. I am not an alcoholic. It was not hard for me to stop drinking except for the social pressures and stuff like that. But like, I'm a black and white type of person. I, I love that you brought up. Um, oh God, what did you bring up? Anyway, whatever it was something. Oh, the way that, oh, the way that you were talking, it made me think of Tim Ferriss, how you were like, I started making notes and like Tim Ferriss, his podcast is a really great show. And anyway, the other day I listened to an episode, an older episode where Brene Brown was the guest and she's been sober 25 years. Um, and the way Tim approaches his social experiments are a lot like what Jay was just describing, taking notes, really measuring data, revealing, re being really thoughtful and reflective, but really looking at it with intention. And so anyway, that made me think of this episode. And one of the things that Brene said is that she used to think about that sort of dissonance with alcohol and the, oh, I need to be away from alcohol or whatever it is. And then she shifted her mindset to thinking about sobriety as her superpower. So it's one of, and I feel like that is very much becoming apparent for me as well. It's one of my superpowers. I say this because. It is, it is a notable experience to be in any society or any community where we are doing something averse to the mass. And so it feels really empowering for me to be like, I am not, I don't need to be controlled by these systems. You know, I don't need to select into this culture of drinking and skydiving, for example, if I don't want to, I can, I have full freedom of choice. I have consciousness. I can choose into it if I want to. Again, there's that non-judgment. But if I don't actually have the experience of doing otherwise, then I don't know. So like there's this real power that I feel in my own capability to take things on, to take on things that are predetermined predictated to me, you know, to go, well, let's see, let me, let me, let me take my own stab at whatever this might look like for me. And I'll report back. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a so the whole concept of alcoholism or being an alcoholic. I don't I am not an alcoholic. I was an alcoholic. Nice. So when I drank every day habitually, that's alcoholism. Right? When I don't drink every day, that's not alcoholism. Yeah. So now I'm not an alcoholic. I don't carry that badge with me for the rest of my life and say, I'm an alcoholic and I'm going to live under the shadow of this idea forever because at one time I was an alcoholic. That can separate these two things because at one time I was young. You know, I was a teenager. Now I'm not a teenager. So these things, we change. We don't have to keep that thing forever. It, you know, we can be anything we want to be every single day we wake up. We can just say, I'm tired of being that. It'll be something else now. Yeah. And that's totally possible for all of us, for every single one of us out there. So we don't need to stay connected to these ideals that, you know, if I was an alcoholic, I am one forever. We can recognize that I have, if I were to start drinking again, I would likely become an alcoholic again. There you go. That was That is very likely, right? Proven to me through my own behavior patterns of observing my behaviors, mm-hmm. when, when I stop drinking and I put it down for a while and I'm no longer an alcoholic, I'm a sober person, a non-drinker, and then at some point, some trigger comes along, some opportunity comes along, some situation comes along, and I decide I'm going to investigate alcohol again. And I go ahead and take a foray into it and say, I'm going to have you know a drink on Friday nights when I go out because you know what? Wine is delicious, right? Wine's delicious. Scotch is delicious. Beers are delicious. They're delicious, right? <laughs> they, they feel and taste wonderful, and I really enjoy them. But what happens when I do that, when Jason does that, is it starts to amplify, and I start having two. Now, actually, I never have one. Let's be honest. I've never had one drink and had just one. Every time wow. I have one, I get a second. Wow. And then if I start off at one day a week, it turns into two days and three days a week. And before you know it, I'm drinking every day again. So then I return to becoming an alcoholic again. And that's my behavior pattern when it comes to my relationship with alcohol. I've never, at least in my later life, I've never been able to have a drink, put it back down and then say, I'm done again. It ends up sliding down that slippery slope. That still doesn't make me an alcoholic sitting here right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And that's another thing that, honestly, in this episode with Tim and Brene, that she mentioned about herself, which I very resonate, very much resonate with, is, and this is very present in my relationship with food, talking, touching back on that whole scale, is that I tend to not be someone who can do moderation. I just, in general, I, I, you see this in my goal, in a lot of ways, that part of my personality and that intensity that I bring to the way I engage life serves me in my work and my goal setting, but in a lot of ways, it also hurts me. And so I've learned that I do better when I measure my food, when I track it. Otherwise, I'll eat a ton of Whatever I'll eat doesn't matter, but the same sort of thing is serving me with my relationship to alcohol is that I like that I don't drink anymore. You know what I mean? I like the hard line because that hard line is very, very clear boundary for me to make decisions. 
Um, but you know what I mean? Like that, that works for me. And I, I used to think, oh God, why can't I do moderation and this and that? And maybe I'll figure some more out with moderation, but I don't, I don't tend to do so well with moderation. And so I've instead embraced that it works really well for me to have hard lines. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. I, I find it easier to make a clean decision rather than a big gray area. Yeah. Like, that that to, to me it's it, the gray areas the fuzzy kind of sometimes this sometimes that it's this kind of wishy-washy approach to everything and nah, i'd much rather have things be black or white in my in myself yeah within myself i'm going to have black or white and those are going to be the options right they're right there on my hands you know so i like having the clarity of mind so this is the other piece of it right like when i let alcohol come back in the clarity of mind gets muddled muddled and messy and i lose my sharp edge mentally i lose my good sleep i don't get enough rest so there's a relationship to not just the alcohol affecting how clear how clear my thoughts are but my sleep degrades yeah and then my overall energy in life goes down. I get inflammation like crazy. My joints all blow up. So alcohol is a general inflammatory, causes generalized inflammatory response or systematic inflammatory response. So everything from head to toe, all the cells go and they all plump up and they get puffy. And oh my God, it hurts. It re for me, who's had a very active life, my joints everywhere hurt so bad. And I, the way that I measure my systematic inflammation is by watching my face to see how my face changes yeah. as far as how much inflation or like I can watch my cheeks. Inflation I, in the face. Oh, it sounds I like I was just talking to my financial advisor tonight or this morning and we were talking about inflation. <laughs> Sorry. It just made me think inflammation. <laughs> inflammation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Inflammation. I'm sorry, that was so funny. Sorry, keep Inflation. going. Inflation. Yeah. No, and my my knuckles. So I have rings, and I love yeah. to wear them. And I can measure from day to day how much systematic inflammation I have in my body by how tight my rings are, because that they will get tighter and looser. And it's a very it's a very tight gauge because it's a not much change has to occur to be able to measure it. So. The thing that I'm trying to get to with this overall kind of like, well, how do I track this? Like, what are the things that are that I'm watching for? My poop. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Let's talk about poop, right? My poop goes terrible with drinking. It's just <laughs> worst. And if you want to track your physical health and your emotional health is gut health, right? My mental state of mind is related to how happy or unhappy my gut is. And alcohol completely destroys my gut back. Um, bioflora and ruins everything. And I feel terrible. My guts hurt so bad. Yeah. I just Ooh. bought one of those Viome tests. I've been, yep. I've been eyeing them for a few years and I just, I want to do the test and, and see what it tells me is good for my body or not. I've just never done that. I'm really interested in those results. Yeah, I've done them a few times. Oh yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I, I'll yeah. let you know what, what happens. It's I'm excited about it. Um, yeah. before I lose this thought, I want to make sure I bring this into the conversation is the response to the pandemic 
and how there were so many jokes about, oh, thank God I'm drinking. And it it's, oh, it's just so stressful. And, you know, this idea that it was just this blanket automatic response to stress that was to, to drink. And it, like, that was an interesting thing for me to see. Cause I'm like, Oh man, not that, that did not sit well in, in me, just not from a perspective of judgment, but from a perspective of, Oh God, I wish people had more ways to meet their stress. Like what is, what is missing from the toolbox if alcohol is the only thing that we go to? You know what I mean? I say this yeah. as an invitation to go to contemplate. What are those things? What, what can you do other than that that would help in a maybe healthier way help lower your stress levels, help you move through those emotionally challenging times? Because again, you've said it a number of times on this episode already, is that the recognition of the longer term impact does not, in most cases, outweigh the short term benefit of the of the numbing. Yeah. So I'll mention a couple things. One, one way that I have found to deal with my own kind of feeling of need. <clears throat> so I guess my mindfulness practices have improved since this time. So I'm able to better track my own reactions, my own emotional experiences now, because I'm spending more time paying attention to how I'm feeling and not a, being associated with how I'm feeling. I'm just feeling that way yeah, and not allowing that to be who I am. Yep. Right. So now that I'm able to say, oh, I'm feeling, uh, I can't sit still. I'm feeling edgy. I'm feeling anxiety. I'm feeling whatever. I'm feeling something I don't like. My default response to that in the past would be to grab a drink because that's going to take control of my feelings, right? Like generally, this would be my behavior pattern. And I think this is where a lot of people lean as far as the typical kind of. I feel something I don't like, so I'm going to change it to something I do like, which is a sensation of control. I feel control because I'm choosing how I feel. So alcohol is a great way to choose how you feel because all you got to do is like pop a pill, but it's in a glass. You pop a glass and poof, I feel lighter or le yeah. I feel less of what I was feeling before oh, because I feel different. Yeah. Oh, I just right? need I feel to, different. I just need to take the edge off that phrase. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So. What I've learned to do, it started off with alcohol and cigarettes. Both of these is go for a walk. Yep. I just go for a walk because it's with cigarettes when I needed to, when I started, I need my impulsive thing of like, I got to grab a cigarette and smoke that cigarette. I would walk outside to smoke because I was so grossed out by my own smoking for so long. I would never smoke in the house. It was so disgusting that I would always go outside. So I just, started, I would just go outside and I would do the same thing that I did before. I just wouldn't have a cigarette. I would just go for a walk. And so now end of the day comes, everybody's going to have a drink. I'm just going to go for a walk and I'm actually going to walk away from the temptation or the pattern or the culture or those particular friends 
and I'm going to walk towards something new and literally change like where I am and what I'm doing with myself. And before you know it, like 15 minutes down the road, I forgot. Mm -hmm. Like the feeling goes away. The the sensation of need or uncomfortable or whatever ugly eh, thing Mm -hmm. I'm not liking about myself, I forget because I'm my legs start pumping my lymphatic system. My lymphatic system starts changing how I'm feeling. And so because I get the movement going on and now my feelings change and my eyes start picking, move out to the horizon and start sensing a different relativity to the world around me and a sensation of movement and all these things change my objective experience. My subjective experience changes. My objective experience changes. And now I'm not feeling the same need to change what I'm feeling anymore. So I don't feel like I need to grab that class. Love and if it. you want to learn more about the science on this stuff, you can go to the Huberman lab mm-hmm. and you can listen to Andrew Huberman's episode on alcohol and how it affects the body. And you can learn about a lot of these techniques that I'm talking about because they're real scientific data that backs all this stuff up. You can just change what you're looking at, change the movement in your body, literally retrain the nervous system to function in a way where it's now supporting the behaviors rather than feeling like we're going to numb them by turning that part of us off instead. Absolutely. 100%. That this begs the calling out of changing your environment. Sometimes we need to change the environment, both from the perspective that you just shared about Jay where it's literal, we're walking, we're getting some endorphins, we're changing the physiology of what our, our situation is, thus our feelings are changing and that helps us move through the whatever feeling that is or the discomfort that we're trying to uh, move away from it actually helps us do that the other thing you mentioned about temptation about getting out of environments that cause that make it more difficult for you that's one way to approach it the other way is to have new choices prepared knowing where the temptation will be if you cannot get yourself out of those situations or don't want to for whatever reason, then we get to go into those scenarios and choose differently. So that is being prepared to say, oh, no, thanks, I'll have a seltzer. And, and being prepared for the discomfort when that sentence comes out of your mouth, you know, and being okay with that. Oh, you're not having a drink? And be like, no, I'm good with this. Yeah, and that's, it's only discomfort until you find the power in it. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. I'll just have a club soda, thanks. Exactly and, right. And then it's like, boom, like superpower activate. Correct. I'll just have a club soda. Correct. Yeah. And for me, yeah. that that social period didn't last very long. It really didn't last long. The discomfort of that was like two months max. And that's yeah. only because I probably didn't go out that much. You know what I mean? One of the other things that really just comes up for me with this, like walking away from one thing and toward another is we feel like. We're dependent on our social circles, like the people that I interact with. And yeah, we we rely on connection from others and to others in order to, as human beings, we're dependent on that. It's important to have social circles, to have others to connect with. And if where we have found friends is in the drinking culture, then it can be scary yes. to think about, well, if I put this down, I'm not going to have any friends anymore. But what you will find is in a very short period of time is that there are friends just down the road that you start walking be like there's other people that aren't drinking that would like to be your friends if you're not drinking. Yes. There's a lot of people out there 
who drink that I'd love to be friends with them if they didn't drink. Yeah. But I won't be friends with them because when they start drinking, I don't want to spend any time with them anymore. So that, that goes both ways. And we will find is that as we start to leave one circle, another circle appears. It's always right there waiting for us. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because I do think this to me, when I talk about this, I make sure to share the non-judgment because I think that's important to as showing up in support of people to make their own choices. At the same time, I do feel like I am a person who is happy to promote this choice. Like I am so glad I have made this choice for my life. I love it. And it's just, it's almost the same as like all this stuff where we talk about plant medicines and deep ceremonial healing. It's not right for everyone. But if you have a calling toward it or an, or curiosity, even, I am happy to be the person who promotes it and supports people to lean in where they're called in those directions. This is a very, very good example of that. I'm exactly the same place where I don't condone anybody for any actions. I have no judgment of anybody for choosing any mechanism at all to deal with whatever pain or need exists. I don't judge for that. I have taken them all. I've done them all. (laughs) I've done everything out there because I've had all the feelings and all the pains. And so what am I going to judge myself? That's yeah, not going to help me. Exactly I'm not going right. to judge you. It's not going to help you judging you. <laughs> all the I stories. I grew up in a culture of judgment. Yeah. Ugh. All the sh- right? all the deep shame stories that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Not going to judge yeah. myself for that either. Yeah. No, that, that's not going to help. I am in the same boat where I will advocate for action to say, hey, let's at least do the analysis. Let's take some space and measure it. And let's check in with ourselves and check in with our friends and family. I live in a culture now where I would say nearly nobody drinks. None of my friends drink. Like very, very, very few of my friends drink. And if they do, it's very selectively and it's in very small quantities. And the culture, it's, it's amazing. I'll go you know, to a social gathering and there'll be dozens of people there. And, you know, a bottle of wine. Somebody brings a bottle of wine. It doesn't even get opened. Yeah. Just sits there, you know, because that's just faded away. And, and the connectivity and the quality of my friends is undoubtedly better than it was in the past. You know, I felt like the friends I had in those times when I was drinking were the best friends that I could have. And they were the best friends at that time. Yeah. But the time, the connection is deeper and clearer now. And I want to round this off with a reflection that came to me just recently. Most of the events I go to, we don't have alcohol present. Nobody serves it. Nobody sells it. If anybody wants to bring their own, it's a BYOB, that's fine, but pretty much nobody drinks. Now, I have a couple of friends of mine that are just my closest, deepest, oh my God, I love these guys. These guys are my crew. They're like my homies, and they are bright, shining lights of being. They're powerful spirits in this world, and you just can't help but acknowledge how wonderful and amazing these humans are. And I've seen two of these people engage in some alcohol and become just oh 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 like just i was like oh my god just horrible and is really really obvious and i've made a point to go to my close friends and say hey 
yeah, that time when you drank recently, when you came out and had a few drinks and turned into a real shit face, ugh, that sucked. And I don't really want to hang out with that guy anymore. And really been clear about that. And it's been received with such positive thanks. I knew that already. You know, yeah. I knew that that's what happened and that's how I acted. And there's no judgment in there. It's just this, hey, let me be a little mirror for you yeah. about how much I love you, first mm -hmm. of all, and I want to be close, but if that's the way that things are going to be, we're not going to be. Yeah. And that's the, this, this is wrong for me. Not exactly. I am judging you as wrong. Go ahead. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So this is a social situation. We're out, we're at a party, right? And they become quite intoxicated and just the type of interaction, the quality of conversation, the spitting, the slurring, all the, like the behaviors start to slow slide down to this lower place and my desire to stay interactive with them goes downhill and to amplify this one step i went out to a concert just recently and i haven't been to a big concert in apparently a few years and what i saw when i got there was it's rampant alcohol sales like it, mm. there's mixed drinks there's beer there's the white claws like all the seltzer sodas it's just heavy 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 alcohol sales and i've been in a culture that doesn't do that at all and i was pretty shocked yeah. because i've been so removed from it i've been walking away for years now even when i was drinking i still wasn't going to these like you know high consumption events yep and being in this environment where people were fairly sober when they arrived and got more and more influenced by the alcohol that they were taking in by the end of the event there was a number of groups of people that i was just like they would just shut up or i would like to get away from them <laughs> right. because it was really detracting from my own experience of participating in the show yeah really loving the music that i was hearing but there's a drunk bunch of people behind me they're super loud obnoxious and you know it, it's it's all about them at that point in time so I think that relative thing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you're sharing this because it's I feel like we've all been in those shoes before, whether we're the the sober one being like, oh, God, or whether we're, we've been the drunk one being the obnoxious person detracting, taking away from an experience. Obviously, we've said that already. But one thing I think that might be a good point to near the close for the show is this it's exciting to me. So this is one of the things that I, that excites me, that enlivens me about this. And I vaguely touched on it earlier, but if alcohol has historically taken the edge off, helped us remove inhibitions, whatever that fucking means, the question then is when we don't have that available, and then we're, go we're stepping into this very, very cool, hardcore growth experience of going, how am I going to access freedom? How am I going to access that release, that softening, that, ooh, that, that, you know, that availability of, of our releasing of our body and our, and I'm just sort of like moving my shoulders even right now both in our bodies, but in our spirit, in our soul, in our energy, in the way that we connect, right? Versus being tense, afraid. Uh, I would only connect to a per with a person at this level 
if, unless I take alcohol and it removes this thing from me? How can I remove this thing anyway? Or how can I move through that discomfort and still have an outcome that I'm really, really, you know, deeply excited about? You know what I mean? So it's, there's something there in terms of the growth that comes when we no longer have alcohol available to us. And that might sound not fun and it probably won't be fun, but it's, it's, it's exciting. It's an exciting choice to go. And it's a reframe around I'm in discomfort. Fuck, I can't take a drink now. It's more like I'm in discomfort. Yay. I am now in the opportunity to grow and choose differently. I think the big thing that comes from that is I'm authentically me. Yes. Yes. I'm actually here. I'm actually me. This is me, the real me, not a adulterated version of me that I'm presenting in order to feel like I can be comfortable with who I am. The the self-confidence that that comes from the self-value, right, comes along with it. Go, I'm actually just me. And, you know, I'm not perfect. And there's lots of things that I struggle with. And I'm okay with that. Period. No, that that's the me that I want to be. Yeah. I I couldn't I, I feel like that's the perfect note to end on because that is just so so spot on and and the true value, the beauty, the app oh it's just like that's the good shit from making a hard choice like this. That at least it has been for me. And I feel so much more capable and so much more connected in the world and in my relationships as well. It's just it's just really, really cool. I'm loving it. I'm yeah. loving how I'm having more and more interactions with people where you say, how are you doing? And that casual acquaintance, you know, walking by, it's like, hi, in America. It's how you doing? And people who I know who more and more of the time are stopping and taking a second and going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's, here's how I'm doing. There's yep. some stuff that's not going great, some stuff that's going okay, some stuff that's good. And we're getting that authentic share and that real version of each other. And that connects us. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm listening. Yeah, totally. I'm paying attention. And I was, then I have a new friend. It's so true. I was literally, I was on a date last night. It was like, and I was like, I'm tired. I'm really tired. I've been overwhelmed at work. Yeah, I was just being just honest. Like, what's, what, how actually am I? You know, it's versus feeling like, oh, in any scenario, whether you're on a date or whether you're making a new friend or whether you're whatever having to be on and so it's like this interesting thing and that's a whole nother rabbit hole that we can go into in another episode about this whole notion of being on and the deep exhaustion that that causes and how we're slowly stepping away from these societal structures that have basically forced us to be on for our whole lives and now we're figuring out how to just be ourselves and it's fucking cool and beautiful and powerful and I love you you're fucking cool and beautiful and powerful (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's you I'm talking to you audience you're fucking cool and beautiful and powerful yes exactly I love it well as we say in the beginning as always if you have a topic that you want us to talk about or you have any feedback for us or any of that please reach out again trustthejourney.today on Instagram is a great place to DM us Uh, trustthejourney.today is our website as well you can subscribe to iTunes Spotify YouTube all the places donate on Patreon like we said at the beginning join the Trust the Journey family we love you all so much and just thank you from the depths of our gratitude for being with us 
Yeah, I want to say thank you to the dozens of people that I've received messages from recently. Lots of you have been reaching out to me through all different means, and it really means the world to me. Thank you so much for your phone calls, your DMs, your voicemails, your everything that yes. I get. You guys are wonderful. We love you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our audience and community. And we encourage you to interact with the show in whichever way inspires you to do so. It's all a mission of service. Thank you. And we love you. Love you.